in late 2011 and the first part of 2012, I met with a spiritual director every week as he guided me through the longer version of the 19th Annotation Retreat of the Spiritual Exercises of Ignatius of Loyola. The 19th Annotation being the version of the retreat that accounts for people who work, who have families, and who are unable to take an eight-day silent retreat somewhere because of those responsibilities. And so we met at a Panera in Akron, Ohio, every Tuesday morning. And we would discuss my experiences of these exercises since we had met the week before. And not every spiritual director would enjoy, appreciate, approve of meeting in such a location, and in fact, during my own spiritual direction training, I heard about discouragement from such locations in favor of quieter rooms, more meditative spaces, but meeting at a Panera on a Tuesday morning actually kind of fit my larger sense of being in the world. So I was fine with it. Anyway, that was a small segue. The exercises of Ignatius of Loyola, you can divide them into various sections. There is kind of a, a preparatory beginning which includes reflecting on one's need for God's forgiveness and one's own shortcomings. And then you transition into reflecting on gospel passages about the life of Jesus. And this takes the majority of the exercises. This is what you spend most of your time working on and focusing on and praying on. You begin, of course, with Jesus's birth. And you sit and you, you, you ruminate on those texts for a week or two. And then you spend a very long time reflecting on Jesus's life and ministry and teachings. This is probably the, the longest of these sections related to Jesus's life. And then you spend a time thinking about Jesus's suffering and death and crucifixion. And the, in particular, this includes the Holy Saturday-ness of it all. The uncertainty, the anxiety, the despair after his death. You are invited to sit with that. There is no, yeah, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. You don't know that Sunday's coming. And so you are meant to divorce the Sunday's coming part from the rest of it for a time. And then, of course, 
you do eventually get to reflect on Sunday's arrival and the empty tomb and the joy and yet also the uncertainty that surrounds the empty tomb and the various post-resurrection appearances of Jesus to the disciples in various ways. At some point, while we were discussing one morning at Panera, and this was probably later in our time together, later in the overall process, my spiritual director asked me, which part do you relate to the most? That is, which week, the, these various parts of Jesus's life are, are divided into what are called weeks. So which week do you relate to the most? Are you a first week? Are you more of a first week Christian? So the, the idea that, that you, you are more focused on Jesus's birth and the incarnation of God in Jesus. Are you a second week Christian? That is, do you relate most to his life, his ministry, his teachings, and maybe again, a bit of the incarnation there as well? Are you a third week Christian? Are you, do you find yourself most preoccupied with Jesus's suffering and his death? Or are you a fourth week Christian? That is, do you focus the most? Do you find yourself gravitating toward the empty tomb and the resurrection and the risen Christ? I thought about this for a few moments sipping my Panera coffee. And then finally, it, it actually didn't take me too long to answer that I find myself a fourth week Christian. That is, I find myself gravitating the most to the Easter stories. The wonder and the strangeness of the empty tomb, the miracles of seeing, and not just seeing, but fully experiencing Jesus's presence in those post-resurrection stories. I said, I, I think I'm a week four Christian. I, I would say that that, that, that is what that is what appeals to me the most. That, that is what I gravitate toward. And I'm not sure if I shared my story for a story for why that is at any point during our meetings. I imagine I did. I, in those days, it was, it was pretty common for me to, to tell the story of, of why I tend to, to gravitate most toward the fourth week of the exercises and all of the Easter stuff that goes along with it. I'm sure I did. 
but it's been a while since I've shared it in general. And so I suppose, being that this episode is being released on Easter Sunday, that it might be a good time to share it again. Welcome to the Coffeehouse Contemplative Podcast. I was a junior in college. I attended Heidelberg University in Tiffin, Ohio. It was Heidelberg College at that time, but it has since changed its designation to university. I was unnecessarily and irrationally bitter about that change for a little while, but I eventually got over it. I had already discerned a call to ministry by the time I began my studies there, and so I decided that the most natural and the, the, the most rational way to, to proceed would be to major in religion, seeing as how eventually I would be going to seminary, that this would help lay the foundation for those later learnings. My freshman year, it was a bit of an eye-opener to experience these classes because they, they were not of the nature of easily reaffirming things that I already believed. We... These classes touched on various forms of biblical criticism, considering the history, the way that the Bible is constructed as literature, the way that it was likely edited by various authors, the, the con historical contexts of the various books and why certain decisions were made, and eventually why decisions were made regarding what was included and what was not included as part of, at least for Protestants, the 66 books that we read from now. And we also touched on what was known as the historical Jesus. That is, what the, the, the study, the looking into who was Jesus really behind what the Gospels share about him. What would it have really been like in his time and in his place, and where might the gospel writers have embellished or used their own biases and agendas in writing 
about him. Just this notion, the, the very notion that such things could be possible for the writers of the Gospels, that threw me for a loop. I had a hard time my freshman year for a while as I wrestled with all of this and as I tried to to reconcile what I thought I knew previously with what I was learning now. There are some who even then and some who now would just dismiss those things out of hand as as being against the truth and so on. But I couldn't shake that there really was something worth exploring and something that needed to be wrestled with. I got past that first difficult time for my faith. But then another difficult time, a more difficult time, reared its ugly head my junior year. This was not necessarily all related to studies, although that, w that certainly did play a role, but there were some other social things happening at that time. Those, the, the, the people who would dismiss such studies and such teachings, I was not getting along with that crowd my junior year. There were cracks that were that were starting to to come to the surface between us and it didn't help that i i was pushing back pretty hard against some beliefs and some choices that evangelical campus ministries were making at that time and place. And I don't think I need to go into a lot of detail about that. Let's just say that I, I was starting to be seen in less of a charitable light and treated as such as well. That was taking a toll. As was, again, yes, there was a a, an academic component, an intellectual component. I was coming across some new research and some new readings that was starting to throw my, my faith for a loop yet again. And it, this time it seemed like there were less people to whom I could turn than before with my questions and my doubts and my struggles because it seemed as if if I did bring them to at least some people the answer would simply be well just let that go it's not true anyway or just pray harder just believe harder just get over it and keep trusting God and it wasn't that simple for me I think that one of the biggest hang-ups that I had was on a couple of articles I read that were, again, related to historical Jesus research. And in particular, this was calling into question the resurrection and calling into question what, what Jesus 
was really about e- if he even truly existed. And it got so bad for me. One of the one of my memories from that time that really sticks out to me was there was one evening where I was in my then girlfriend's dorm room. She's my wife now. I was in my then girlfriend's dorm room and I was saying goodnight to her before walking back to my own room. And in those days we we would say a little prayer before saying goodbye for the night. And there was one night where I just couldn't do it. And I asked her to do it instead. Usually I was the prayer, but I couldn't bring myself to say a single word of prayer this night. That was a pretty rock bottom sort of moment for me. It's the one that sticks out for me, at least in terms of rock bottom moments. I'm sure that there were others, but that's the one that I still remember the most. There came a time later, after pretty much the the, the cracks had turned into a canyon between myself and some other more conservative Christians on campus. The, the, the social piece had become much more massive. And I couldn't shake, I couldn't put this, these studies, these readings behind me. I was a mess. And it was even getting to the point where I was starting to rethink basically my entire life's path. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I was on the brink of giving up my faith, which would in turn cause me to give up the career path that I had been thinking about for at least three years by that point. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do instead, if, in fact, that would end up being the path that I would continue to travel down. And so there was one night, a different night, when I once again found myself in my then-girlfriend, now-wife's dorm room. And it was at night. She was starting to drift off, and I was going to let her do that. But I... I was restless. I wasn't feeling like sleeping yet. And so I decided I would grab her Bible and just sit in the hallway outside her door so that I wouldn't disturb her. Second floor, Craig Hall. And if I ever travel back to Heidelberg, I can point you to the spot where I sat in this moment. I sat there with this little Bible. It was a new international version. Progressives, keep your comments to yourself. And I sat there, and I could find myself able to pray this night, but it wasn't going to be much of a prayer. All I could say was, please show me something. 
And I decided I was just going to flip the Bible open and see what would happen. I first flipped open the Bible to the book of Isaiah. And it was a passage, one of the suffering servant passages. People today can, can hear Jesus' life in these words. The words about one who is suffering for God. And one who is embracing what that calling means. I flipped again. And again, another passage in Isaiah. Again, talking about the importance of sticking to one's calling. And I flipped open at least one more time. And it landed on a passage in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. And the verse, the particular verse that caught my eye, that, I, that my eyes landed on, was verse 34. And in the New International Version, it reads, It is true. The Lord is risen. That, seeing that verse, caused everything to shift within me. Reading those words brought me back from the brink. It brought me back from questioning my entire life's path, my vocational path. It brought me back from the brink of all of the despair and the anxiety and the uncertainty that I had been experiencing, both in terms of my faith and in terms of what was happening in the on-campus church between me and others. A sense of peace came to me. Now, I would not necessarily recommend that if you're going through a hard time, just sit down with a Bible and randomly open it and you will find what you need. I'm not definitely not saying that. I've, I've had people over the years push back against this part of my story in particular over the years. So no, this is not something that I would say everyone, it's, it's, it's always going to work this way for everyone. I'm just saying that that night, for me, it did work. At my most desperate and at my lowest point, to be able to read the words, it is true, the Lord is risen, I think was spirit-guided. And the spirit, of course, is perfectly capable of working through other means. Certainly flipping open a Bible is not the only way that this will happen, but that night it happened for me. And so this is the reason 
why I still continue to see myself as a weak for Christian. Because when I needed to hear it the most, I was reminded that it is true. The Lord is risen. In preparation for this week's episode, I went digging back through some old journals to try to find whether I had actually written about when my spiritual director had asked me that question regarding what week of the exercises I related to the most. It turns out that I didn't. And I don't know why I didn't, considering that that has stuck with me for so long. But I did come across some other writings. And they're writings that, that are from the Lent and Easter season of 2012. It, it was a pivotal time for me. It was a time when I was thinking... I was starting to discern whether my time at my first church was coming to an end. And so that featured prominently, features prominently in what I wrote in those days. And it was probably significant and appropriate and needed that by that point I was not only preparing to lead my church through the themes of Lent and Holy Week and Easter and the Easter season around that time, but also that that was the week, week four, that I was going through, praying through in my spiritual direction time as well. This time of year, for me, Easter has always been an important day and season for me. It has always been incredibly meaningful. And I chalk that up to my college experience. That, that is certainly a, a foundational reason for that. It's a foundational reason why I consider myself a week four Christian now. Easter has always played an important role for me. The hope of resurrection. The peace that comes with the proclamation, it is true. The Lord is risen. It's something that that I've always hung on to, that I've always kept close, that I've even tattooed on my body. The, just the, the Bible verse, not, not the entire verse, but, but just the reference. 
But also, in terms of my years in ministry, this time tends to be times that bring their own discernment moments. So certainly, in 2012, I was going through discernment as to whether to move on, whether it was time for me to take myself and begin a new ministry elsewhere. But in recent years, it's also been a time when I can point back to a moment that started me three years before it actually happened on the path toward the type of ministry that I'm doing now. And I can point to this time as being a, a very strange one because it was, after all, on Easter when I had my final Sunday at my most recent church preaching Easter Hope into my phone broadcast on Facebook Live. And certainly the years after that, the years where we've been trying to make sense of our world in the, the times that, that would follow, the times of wondering, how will this pandemic continue to affect us? And the, the memories of that, the memories that live in my mind and also in my body, really take prominence this time of year. And I've written about that. If you've been following the blog this year, if you have been keeping up with the podcast this year, I've been talking a lot more about that this year as opposed to in times past. Because for some reason, as we have hit the three-year mark, I found myself digging out those memories again that have been living in body and mind and wondering about them and thinking about whether I could ever, whether I will be able to at some point reclaim Easter from those memories that live within me. And I suppose that in some way I will be able to. I suppose that eventually through time and through distance, they will fade a little more into the background and I will just be able to move on from them. But I think that much more, I think that much more, that Easter hope, the hope that proclaims it is true, he is risen, that, that week four mentality carries enough power, carries enough meaning, that the powers and the principalities of those other things, those things that try to enforce despair and hopelessness, that they are no match for such 
a proclamation. This, this continues to be my hope. Whether it is always something that wins the day, I suppose, and, and I, I pray that eventually it is. But in the meantime, I hold them in tension, continuing to carry them both, but knowing that eventually love and life will win the day. After all, that's what Easter really is. If you read those stories, there's still a lot of uncertainty. The, the disciples and the women and all of Jesus' friends and supporters, they don't necessarily immediately buy into and, and hold a great big party as a result of, of what they discover and what they are told. It takes them a while to live into that. It takes them a while to reconcile what they thought they knew of life, of death, of hope, of despair. It takes them a while to work through all of that. And I think that it takes a while for us as well. Flipping through a Bible on a dorm floor, it didn't magically fix everything, but it certainly brought a lot more hope than what I had a minute before. An Easter one single day on the calendar, or one season of 50 days on a calendar, is not going to magically fix everything, but it does invite us to consider that in the midst of everything else that we know and everything else that we are struggling with, that the truth of resurrection is also present as well. Thank you for listening to the Coffee House Contemplative Podcast. I'm Jeff Nelson. You can find more about my writing, including all my books, at jeffreynelson.com. You can also find me on social media, Jeffrey A. Nelson on Facebook, and I'm at Bold Roast Rev on both Twitter and Instagram. Have a great week.